Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not the time to say that this is not the time. Now, in other news, you've heard about Apple, the uh, not the fruit, not the not the metaphor on CNN. This is about another metaphor, a metaphor in glass, if you will. Apple, the by most recent reckonings, not the reckoning, most recent reckonings, the world's most valuable company, has opened a new headquarters, a massive ring-shaped office overflowing with panes, and it's going to be spelled two ways today, panes of glass. That's a testament, according to Bloomberg, to the company's famed design-obsessed aesthetic. How obsessed? Stay tuned. Apple employees keep smacking their heads into the glass. See, there's the other pane right there. Surrounding the building in Cupertino, where the the, uh, nearby, I was in Los Gatos a few years ago, and you walk down the main street of Los Gatos, which is a bedroom community for Cupertino, and there are two car dealerships, an Aston Martin, and um, the other one is like... uh, it's not the Rolls-Royce. It's the, you know, the other version of the Rolls-Royce. Anyway, those are the two car dealerships in Los Gatos, the bedroom community for Cupertino. Surrounding the building in Cupertino are 45-foot-tall curved panels of safety glass. Well, that's nice. Inside are workspaces, which they dubbed pods because I guess they own the word now, also made with glass. Apple employees who are, like Apple customers, obsessed with their iPhones, They've been repeatedly spotted walking distractedly into the panes of glass, according to people familiar with the incidents, talking to Bloomberg. Some staff started to stick post-it notes on the glass doors to mark their presence. The notes were removed because they detracted from the building's design, according to sources inside the company. If you've used Apple products lately, you know that function is never allowed to compete with design. They asked not to be identified, these people, discussing anything related to Apple. Another person familiar with the situation said there are other markings to identify the glass, but they're in glass. The building has been hailed as an architectural model. Famed architect Norman Foster designed it. Steve Jobs, before he died, didn't say anything after he died, but before he died, he described the building, quote, a little like a spaceship landed. So... Watch out for the glass. It's a metaphor in glass, ladies and gentlemen, for um, how many Apple products work these days or just don't work. Apple's penchant for glass in buildings has caused problems before. Uh, 2011, an 83-year-old woman walked into the glass wall of an Apple store breaking her nose. These things happen. Now, how are our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia doing? And whom, whom are they palling around with right now? Besides us, you know that the United States has had a, uh, and Britain, about four or five decade long relationship with the Saudis. Well, somebody in Riyadh is hedging somebody's bet. The head of Russia's $10 billion investment fund cites economic diplomacy as the catalyst for improved relations between the two countries. We're at the breaking point in positive territory of this relationship. We really embarked on an amazing positive journey. Sounds like a teenage 
That's Kirill Dmitriev, the chief executive of the Russian Direct Investment Fund, the ARDIF. We really embarked on an amazing positive journey. If it was said with vocal fry, you know who it would sound like, anybody at NPR. Dmitriev, who took up his position seven years ago to improve investment flow into Russia and investment confidence, investor confidence in the Russian economy. Good luck with that, babe. That's a heavy lift. Pointed to the Russian OPEC deal to cut oil production as a major ben- benchmark in his country's relationship with the kingdom. Now we have a great positive energy deal that stabilized oil prices, and it's good for producers, consumers, really. Good for our economies. We've done a number of investments together, and we're pursuing a better a political relationship because of this economic diplomacy. Saudi's King Salman, he's not wild, he's farmed, was the first Saudi monarch to visit Russia in an historic trip last October when the two countries signed major arms deals. That's right. The Saudis don't have to get all their arms from us anymore for their little thing in Yemen. This week, Dmitriev signaled Russia's keen interest in harvesting, sorry, in investing in Saudi Arabia's planned IPO of its state energy giant, Aramco. Just, you know, hedging their bets, as I think we all should. Hello, welcome to the show. Yeah. 
Jubilee Driving it through the Crescent City You hear my voice, you know what it means I got Louisiana, where that's not a metaphor. That's a tip of the show chapeau to the late Mr. Okra. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this, this, this one right here, this edition of the show you're actually, you're actually soaking in. And now, let's, let's try to follow the dollar, shall we? An Irish drug maker, yes has jacked up the price of a painkiller. It's nearly 22 times more expensive than when the company acquired the drug five years ago. Well, that's in... No. A sticker shock for Horizon Pharma's Vimovo drug is magnified by the fact that painkiller's two main ingredients can be purchased separately. $36 would do that as opposed to $3,000 $3,000 a bottle for Vimovo. Patients typically pay a fraction of the price for Vimovo, according to CNN, but of course, somebody else is paying for it, the insurance company, which is spreading the cost to all of the uh, 
premium payers or the government. The dramatic price increase underlines a murky system. Spokesman for Horizon Pharma, based in Dublin, said that that uh, $3,000 wholesale price does not reflect the cost to patients or the cost to the system. It's, a, it's, it's an imaginary cost? Is that what you're saying? You can't follow the dollar if it, if it don't go nowhere. The company said it has programs to ensure that commercially insured patients have access at an affordable price, even if the patient's insurance refuses to cover the cost. Horizon estimates 98% of all insured Vimovo patients pay $10 or less out of pocket. I guess that's per pill, not per bottle. As opposed to three thousand, the, the sticker price of 3000 That is sticker shock. You could die from that. This uh, is the latest in the series of price, extreme price hike stories involving the pharmaceutical industry, uh, starting with the pharma bro, Martin Shkreli, and uh, the AIDS drug that he hiked the price on, and a life-saving allergy treatment by Mylan called EpiPen. The day after President Trump vowed to bring drug prices down just last month, Horizon raised the average wholesale price on Vimovo by 10%. It's the latest in a series of about a dozen price hikes for the drug, which was listed at $138 per 60-pill bottle in November 2013 before it was sold to Horizon from AstraZeneca. The painkiller accounts for just over 10% of Horizon's annual sales. It provides cash the company uses to develop treatments for rare diseases. And if you believe that, I've got a rare bridge for you. Vimovo is especially controversial. It's, it's, it's a combination. It's tube. It's naproxen, which you might buy under the brand name Aleve for less than $3,000 a bottle, and esomeprazole. That medicine lowers the risk of stomach problems caused by pain relievers, you see. They can be purchased by patients very cheaply separately. But Horizon says Vimovo is a special formulation. It's not just the same as simply combining the two main ingredients. No, they add cash. Now, the worst of the worst. You may remember that phrase. It was uh, uttered frequently by um, people who worked for the Bush administration, some of whom don't choose to travel to foreign countries anymore, lest they be extradited and, you know. Same thing uh, uh, Julian Assange is afraid of in reverse. And and some of those indicted by Robert Mueller on Friday, maybe not planning to travel outside their home country. So it's a lot of lot of lot of stay at homes. Anyway, the worst of the worst was what we were told was the accurate description of those sequestered in Guantanamo Bay. One of those former Gitmo detainees held without charge by the U.S. military for over 13 years was returned a little while ago, to his home country of Morocco, which has just acquitted him of, quote, undermining state security. He was arrested by uh, Yunus Chikuri, is his name. He was arrested by Pakistani forces in late December 2001 with a group of several dozen alleged fighters who had fled Tora Bora, where um, the Taliban and its al-Qaeda allies were holed up. 
following year, so I, a year he spends somewhere that Agence Press doesn't tell us, but it's probably one of those secret prisons in Afghanistan that the United States created shortly after invading there. So a year later, he's flown to Gitmo. He was locked up for over 13 years, never charged. September three years ago, he was released and sent back home where the authorities put him on trial on that charge, undermining state security. Acquitted this past Thursday. Chikuri had repeatedly denied the charges against him, told Agence France Press after the verdict, quote, the nightmare is over. I can now say I've turned the page on Guantanamo, he said, calling it a cruel prison where every day detainees are submitted to interrogations, physical and psychological tortures. So Dick Cheney will see you in uh, Bremen, The Hague? No. The worst of the worst, ladies and gentlemen. They, the worst of the worst just get better, apparently. Now, we, um, we're told that the, there are increasingly two sides to every company. The side that faces the consumer, the public-facing side, and the side that faces the advertiser, who until recently was the one paying all the freight when you got your paper for almost nothing, or they gave away subscriptions to Time magazine. It's obviously changing in the digital era, but there's still a fealty on the part of publishers to advertisers, especially in an era where publishers became overly dependent on Facebook, and then whoops, ain't there no more. That is to say, Facebook is de-emphasizing news publications in its news feed, so-called. It ne- it's neither news nor is it nutritional. Publishers are increasingly building data science tools to boost web traffic and lure subscribers. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, it says, the New York Times is giving those tools to marketers to help drum up new business. The newspaper announced the launch this week of a new team focused on adapting tools from groups specializing in data science, product and design, technology, and advertising. The team is called NYT Demo, as in demographic, I guess. And um, it's already adapted two tools originally developed by the company's data science team for editorial and its own business purposes. But now you, if you're an advertiser, can have uh, access to this this tool. You don't, you, don't you like tools? Don't be one. The... Um, the one tool was based on an initiative called, and, and this is why I'm sharing this with you, just so you know that the New York Times uses this kind of lingo when talking to advertisers. Project Fields. Project Fields. This was an initiative that aimed to help the Times determine how its readers would react to stories based on associations between content, keywords, and emotion according to the chief data scientist at the Times. So it's not just Facebook that wants to know all this crap about you. Democracy dies if, you don't, if they don't know this about you. The newspaper can use that tool in what is called perspective targeting. That's the attaching ads to articles predicted to have a certain resonance with readers. No, it's not spooky at all. That's just help. That's, a, that's just a tool. The other tool, ReaderScope, 
part of the Times' push to expand its readership outside the U.S., a tool to assess which stories the readers in different countries were interested in and which topics were popular with different kinds of readers. The Times now will offer that tool to help advertisers develop targeted branding campaigns. Marketers feel, marketers feel inundated with data, but have not yet figured out the best way to deal with it, says Vice President of Ad Innovation at the Times. Do you know they had a vice president for that? I, I didn't. I guess Allison Murphy, vice president of Ad Innovation, was uh, instrumental in developing Project Fields. Project Fields. Just have to keep repeating that. The Times has already, not Project Feelings, Project Fields. The Times has already invested in tools to help understand its subscribers and their needs, which can be deployed for marketers. The new team will be able to work with the T-Brand Studio, T is in Times, to help bring in brand as in advertisers, studio as in <laughs> to help bring in more advertising clients and build more tailored branded content offerings. This is the Wall Street Journal reporting on the New York Times. The creation of this team at the Times is part of a broader trend among news organizations which have been building up standalone divisions to cash in on the growing market for branded content, which includes the Washington Post, the Journal, and Hearst, among the many publishers that have studios to help clients market their brands. An earlier version of the article in the Journal incorrectly stated the tool would be used to assess how readers will respond to a piece of advertising, predictively. But that was a piece of predictive journalism by the Journal. That's, that's, that's wrong. Don't, don't believe that. That's wrong. Project Fields, I just, I get a, I get a warm something when I, uh, when I hear that phrase. And um, it's, uh, there's more, obviously there's more Le Show to come. But we have a, a brief message from a, a, a new sponsor. My backache had destroyed my quality of lifestyle. Then my doctor gave me some sound advice. I loved tennis, but arthritis pain was crippling my game. Then my doctor offered me some sound treatment. I'm too young to let CPD or UC stop me from doing whatever. Sound thinking from my doctor stopped them from stopping me. What's that sound? Sound familiar? It should. We repeated it three times. Because now relief comes in a capsule that's not a pill. Welcome to Sound Relief from Sonivia. Instead of pharmaceutical chemicals, Sonivia bathes your body in sound waves. Sonic therapy proven in hundreds of hours of incredibly lifelike clinicalistic trials to break the chain of disease symptoms. What's that sound? And Sonivia sounds the end to taking dozens of pills a day. One Sonivia capsule emits therapeutic waves for up to 24 hours. It sounds like relief. You should not take Sonivia if you're allergic to Sonivia. Ask your doctor if that doesn't seem obvious. Sound effects have occurred, including and common sound effects include and if more serious sound effects like and occur, ask your doctor if he can hear them too. What's that sound? 
Wave your symptoms goodbye. Wave hello to Synivia. Non-addictive when used is not directed.
from New Orleans, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news from outside the bubble. You're aware, I'm sure by now, of the horrific deeds of Dr. Larry Nasser for years, the official doctor of uh, the U.S. gymnastics team. Well, it's not just gymnastics and it's not just the United States. Hoping he could turn their dreams of becoming professional footballers into reality. Dozens of children were drawn to Dr. or not to Dr. to Barry Bennell. The damage he inflicted on aspiring young footballers over decades could end up costing football clubs in the United Kingdom. Millions, legal experts said some victims could claim up to $400,000 equivalent for serious psychological injury and loss of earnings. As well as the 28 children Benel is known to have abused, he was convicted this week of offenses against 11, admitted abusing another, and had already served sentences for abusing another 16. A further 86 people came forward with allegations against him. Leading coach and scout for youth football in the UK. This is according to the Times of London. He won the admiration of young boys as well as their parents' trust, which gave him what prosecutors described as pretty much unfettered access to large numbers of young lads who dreamed of a life in professional football. His talent and charm meant that boys idolized him as a god. From the late 70s through the 90s, Benel would invite boys to stay at his homes filled with exotic pets, including a monkey, Alsatians, a Pyrenean mountain dog, and apparently a puma. Boys were called in Aladdin's cave, where up to 12 would stay at a time and use his pool table, jukebox, fruit machines, and sports gear. Why, it sounds like Neverland. Then, in what seemed to the outside world to be what a victim described as a kid's paradise, they were abused relentlessly. Manel threatened to ruin their football careers if they dared to breathe a word, and what happened would stay secret for decades. His favorites were made to sleep in his bed. Others were abused in bunk beds. The top bunk would always feel a bit more safe. One victim said he would force boys to watch horror films so they would cuddle up to him. It's not just gymnastics anymore. News from outside the bubble. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And, um, ladies and gentlemen, now it is time for news of uh, our friends in the uh, world of microplastics. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Love said. Well, in the supposedly pristine wilderness of the Norwegian Arctic, guess what you'll find there? Microplastics. Researchers are concerned, according to the BBC, about large concentrations of microplastic fragments in sea ice. They found plastic litter almost everywhere in the Arctic they've looked. So don't look. Norwegian fishermen. Well, you Norwegian fishermen, you know, are worried that their fish stocks may lose their reputation for being untouched by pollution. Most of the large plastic waste there comes from discarded fishing gear. There's your irony. Norway's environment minister says politicians in the past haven't fully registered the extent of the problem. 
The Norwegian Polar Institute says there's a great need for more research into the extent of possible harm from plastic. Up to 234 particles have been found concentrated in just one liter of melted Arctic sea ice. That's much higher than in the open ocean. Researchers explain that sea ice forms from the top, same place that uh, organizations pe uh, petrify. It's all from the top, ladies and gentlemen. Here's to the top. Um, by unfortunate coincidence, plastic particles also float at the surface, so they get bonded into the sea ice as it freezes. Uh, so it be, uh, water that becomes sea ice, of course. It isn't sea ice before it freezes. We all know that. You don't need me to hear, sit here and tell you that. They're not yet sure how much of a threat this presents, though. They are worried about the impact on Arctic wildlife if the particles are released as the process of melting continues to turn sea ice into, you know, water. We're finding more and more plastic waste in Svalbard, says one of the paper's authors. The northern Fulmar breeds in Svalbard. At the end of the 1970s, we found very few plastic pieces in their stomachs. In 2013, some had more than 200 pieces of plastic in their stomachs. Other creatures are getting entangled in nets, washed up on beaches like reindeer. Yeah, Santa can't get any more reindeer. They got tangled in nets this year, kids. What will we tell the children? Tell them to shut up and get on their phone. Some die because they can't release their antlers. We find them every year. But Santa, Santa is enjoying a Coke right now, so let's not bother him. In southern Norway, pollution was dominated by plastics from the home. In Svalbard, 80% of it comes from fishing activities. Fishing crews, according to surveys, are increasingly aware of their responsibilities now. Never too late. More and more crews are using paper packaging and moving away from plastic. In the open water, ghost nets are still easy to find. And it's not just in the Arctic. A new study sheds light on the magnitude of microplastic pollution in the northern Atlantic, the northwest Atlantic, from uh, a journal Frontiers in Marine Science. Microplastics were found in the stomachs of nearly three out of every four mesopelagic fish caught in the northwest Atlantic, one of the highest levels globally. I'll explain what those kind of fish are in just a moment. Won't you stay tuned? These findings are worrying as the affected fish could spread microplastics throughout the ocean. They're prey for fish that we eat, we humans. Any bonobos are listening, welcome. Pull up a tree, sit down. So microplastics could indirectly contaminate our food supply through the transfer of associated microplastic toxins. The high ingestion rate of microplastics by mesopelagic fish has important consequences for the health of marine ecosystems, says the uh, lead author of the study. Microplastic uh, contamination spreads from organism to organism when prey is eaten by predators. The fragments can bind to chemical pollutants. These associated toxins could accumulate in predator species up the food scale. Mesopelagic fish, now I'm glad you asked, are food source for a large variety of marine animals, including tuna, your swordfish, your dolphins, your seas and seals, and your seabirds. They live at depths of 200 to 1,000 meters. Ask your doctor if those are uh, what those are in feet. These fish swim to the surface at night to feed, then return to deeper waters during the day. So, by moving vertically through the water, mesopelagic fish play a key role in the cycling of carbon and nutrients from the surface to the deep sea, which is known as biogeochemical cycling. 
It sounds like a great fitness regimen, but no. This means they could spread microplastic pollution throughout the marine ecosystem by carrying microplastics from the surface down to deeper waters. They're like a FedEx for microplastics. These kinds of fish have been relatively understudied in the context of microplastics, hence this study. The team found a wide array of microplastics in the fish stomachs, best place to look, 73% of the fish having ingested the pollutants. We recorded one of the highest frequencies of microplastics among fish species globally. High, pla- high levels of plastic fibers such as those used in textiles. Let's go naked. Come on. That'll fix everything. The researchers were extremely careful to exclude contamination with fibers from the air, so they're confident the fish had ingested the fibers in the sea. Of course, there's also fibers in the air. But we'll talk about those the very next time we visit, won't we? Now, uh, the Mueller indictment, uh, indictments on Friday sort of sucked all the uh, oxygen out of the major Trump-related story at the beginning, at the early part of the week. But uh, that was triggered by a, a report in The New Yorker that a former Playboy playmate had confirmed the authenticity of an eight-page document she wrote detailing an alleged nine-month affair with Donald Trump from 2006 to 2007. The Wall Street Journal reported before the election that the publisher of the National Enquirer, American Media, had paid $150,000 to former playmate Karen McDougal for the story. It just never happened to run. The publisher of the National Enquirer and the head of the parent company, David Pecker, that's correct, is a friend of Donald Trump's. She describes having always met Trump in the same bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel where he apparently met Stormy Daniels, another woman who alleged and at one point confirmed an affair with Donald Trump during the relatively the same time period, right bef- right after his wife had become pregnant, I believe. Um, and Stormy Daniels was the woman whom Trump attorney Michael Cohen admitted either late last week or early this week, uh, he had facilitated the payment of $130,000 in October of 2016, just before the election. So the price, I guess, was going up. Um, no, the, the National Enquirer paid, her, paid uh, McDougal $150,000 a little earlier than uh, Stormy Daniels. Maybe the price was going down. The biggest commonality between the two accounts is the alleged cover-up in the case of Daniels. Yes, this week, that uh, $130,000 payment. And uh, he denied that the money came or had any involvement with the Trump campaign or the Trump organization. He did not deny, however, that the money may have originally come from a certain Donald J. Trump. That was the money to pay for the silence, at least so far, of Stormy Daniels. Don't know how this became a big thing now. Stormy Daniels 
cuter than a bag full of spaniels. She's cheap at twice the price. Like the rich to be buried in her very classy tits, Stormy Daniels. Didn't need any guides or manuals. Quick trip to paradise. Paid her from my own account just for max clarity. Something I never did for any school or charity. Despite what you may hear, there's no similarity. I'm in need of no advice. She's not a slut. I just helped her keep her pie hole shut. Stormy Daniels. Such a thrill doesn't, doesn't come in granules. She's naughty, and oh, so nice. Enemies pretend that it's some kind of sex scandal, acting as if I'm a sort of sleazy sex vandal. Just because I have a guy who knows how to handle lips that could sink my ship. It's too much already babbled to in touch Stormy Daniels. Could have messed up all my careful planules. Very, very smart to put her on ice. Don't waste your time being angry when a moment's better with a smile. If you feel your time's been wasted. Wasted here for a while Standing at the bus stop Just across from crowds Waiting for that driver To take me to my heavenly house I'll see you there What will they wear? Father lie there Does your mother pray I'm gonna put on my golden crown At the foot of Canal Street When the riverbanks are overflowing And 
the street call has seen its day when all is gone the plantations trim a the foot of Canal Street. Ladies and gentlemen, clean, cheap, too safe to meter. Seven electric power companies that plan to decommission nuclear reactors in Japan. You've got to decommission them when you stop using them. They don't just sit there. Or they do. Seven of these companies have yet to secure disposal sites for the low-level radioactive waste that's produced in the process of dismantling the plants. This is 
reported by the Japanese newspaper, the Asahi Shimbun. Got your Shinbun right here. It may take years for the utilities to gain approval from local governments to dispose of the waste. Meantime, yeah, some of the waste must remain buried for 100,000 years. We're good at that. We've been around for a tenth of that time. Maybe a little more. Aboriginal culture, I think it goes back 12,000 years. Let's Let's have them do it, meaning the decommissioning work could be suspended since the uh, local governments haven't given their approval yet. Low-level radioactive waste generated during conventional operations of nuclear reactors can be buried at a disposal site of Japan Nuclear Fuel Limited. However, the electric power companies themselves must dispose of the low-level radioactive waste produced during decommissioning. The newspaper asked 10 electric power companies whether they've secured the disposal sites. Seven said they have not even though they plan to decommission 17 reactors. The demolition of a 1.1-gigawatt-class nuclear reactor produces more than 10,000 tons of low-level radioactive waste, just to give you an idea. It's not something you're going to bury in your backyard, although you could apply, I guess. Three other companies have also not secured sites, but they're not planning to decommission any plants at the moment. The uh, three levels of waste, L1, L2, and L3, since you asked. Uh, first, L1 is, must be buried more than 70 meters into the ground for 300 to 400 years. Got it. After that, the government managed that, manages that waste for 100,000 years. Got it. Done. On the to-do list. Do this for a, on the to-do list for 100,000 years. The government is currently studying regulation standards for such waste. Never too late. That's the Japanese government. Of course, the Decommissioning plans began after the Fook. Full-fledged decommissioning work, not that half-fledged stuff they've been doing, let's fledge fully, shall we, is expected to start soon, but parts removed from the reactors have high radiation levels and cannot be placed temporarily on the grounds of the nuclear power plants that they're decommissioning. High-level radioactive waste is also produced as a result of the reprocessing of spent nuclear fuel, and you'll be glad to know the Japanese government is looking for a disposal site for that kind of waste. So it's it's waste ahoy, ladies and gentlemen. But now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Asheville, North Carolina police are apologizing for a tweet. They say inappropriately called attention to the issues of sexual assault and domestic violence. The Valentine's Day tweet posted on the Twitter feed showed a woman's picture with the caption, Restraining order? You can't restrain love. <laughs> the tweet was later removed. The police department tweeted an apology. We recognize this type of humor from the police department is unacceptable as it can validate an abuser and make the healing process for a survivor more difficult. The person who made the tweet has been restricted from the department's social media pages. Humor from the police department. What could be wrong with that? A Missouri woman posted a video on Facebook that she said demonstrates racial profiling at an Applebee's. Two women at first were not sure by a police officer had approached their table at the Applebee's in Independence. Man, Applebee's apologized. I don't want to go through that whole story. An engineer signed up for Facebook two-factor authentication and the social network responded by sending him endless text notifications, which he didn't want. After he posted about his woes on Twitter, 
Facebook responded by saying it was looking into the situation. Then it found an answer and an apology. I am sorry for any inconvenience these messages might have caused, wrote Alex Stamos, Facebook's chief security officer. In a blog post, we're working to ensure that people who sign up for two-factor authentication won't receive non-security-related notifications from us unless they specifically choose to receive them. This was not an intentional decision. This was a bug. USA Today has a quick, easy solution for readers, bug or no bug. Don't give Facebook your phone number. The host of this program has an even better solution. Don't give Facebook anything because they're selling it unless they pay you for it. A commander at the U.S. Air Force Academy has apologized after a lower-ranking officer sent an email that struck some people as derogatory about African-Americans. The Colorado Springs Gazette reports that Master Sergeant Zachary Parrish sent the message to cadets admonishing them about haircuts and saying retired basketball superstar Michael Jordan was never seen publicly with gaudy jewelry, sagging pants, or a backward cap. He is the top enlisted airman assigned to the student body, called the the cadet wing. Colonel Julian Stevens, the Academy Vice Commandant, Commandant for Cadets sent an email apologizing for Parrish's comments. He said the message contained microaggressions that could be unrecognized and unintentional bias. Facing sexual misconduct allegations, the author of the best-selling Maze Runner series of dystopian young adult novels, James Dashner, apologized on Twitter this week, saying he never meant to hurt anyone. Ever? Really? Can anyone... I can sincerely say I've never intentionally hurt another person, but to those affected, I am so deeply sorry, he wrote. I am taking any and all criticism and accusations very seriously, and I will seek counseling and guidance to address them. His agent and publisher have cut ties with him since the allegations were made. But still, nobody has cut Donald Trump's tie. It's too long, Don. An Iranian-American Muslim fashion blogger was told on a U.S. television network, you don't sound like an American, after she criticized U.S. policy in the Middle East. Hoda Katebi was on... WGN-TV Morning News, not really a network, just a station, but was caught off guard when one of the presenters asked her about Iran and nuclear weapons. The exchange prompted the presenter to tell Katavi, a lot of Americans might take offense to what you said. You're an American. You don't sound like an American. You know what I mean. A WGN spokesperson said anchor Robin Baumgartner. Robin apologized to Hoda, and they had a constructive dialogue about microaggressions. WGN, Robin, and Hoda will be working together to use this as a teachable moment. And Barstool Sports Radio host Patrick Connor apologized for calling the 17-year-old U.S. Olympic snowboarder Chloe Kim a, quote, hot piece of A blank blank following her gold medal performance. She's fine as hell, Connor said. If she was 18, you wouldn't be ashamed to say that she's a hot little piece of... And she is. She's adorable. I'm a huge Chloe Kim fan. Her 18th birthday is April 23, and the countdown is on, baby, because I got my Wooderson going. That's what I like about them high school girls. Connor apologized Wednesday after he drew criticism for his comments, which uh, were published in Deadspin. Yesterday, in a weird attempt to make people laugh, I failed. He tweeted, my comments about Chloe were more than inappropriate. They were lame and gross. I'm truly sorry, Chloe. You've repped our country so brilliantly. I apologize to my colleagues and the listeners for being... A total idiot. The apologies for the week, ladies and gentlemen. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. But at least he was total about it. We don't want no partial idiots on our 
sports radio. Do we? Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns to you next week at this same time. If you listen at the same time on your audio device of choice, really, whenever you want it. It's, it's all about you and your feels. And it'd be just like knowing about New York Times feels, if you'd agree to join with me then. Well, you already thank you very much. Uh-huh. The tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead, to Jenny Lawson, and to Thomas Walsh. And Garrett Pittman here at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this broadcast, the playlist of the music you hear here, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts in time to wear them on St. Patrick's Day. Wow. All at harryshearer.com. Oh, and me. Thank you for asking. I'm on Twitter at TheHarryShearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City.